Welcome to the table. As you noticed, we have someone new with us this week. This is Ariel Grant. Yes. And you may recognize her from our Christmas offering this year. She, she led the tour of the Ace in the City Center of Belonging. Center of Belonging or Center for Belonging? Center of Belonging. Okay, I got it right the first yes. time. I always forget which preposition it is. <laughs> that, that's my thing. Anyway, but I've invited her tonight not only to sing with us, but to share about her organization, Render Free. Yes. And Ariel, if you could tell us basically who you are uh -huh. in your own words yeah. and, and maybe a little bit about Render Free. Yeah, so I am a wife, I am a daughter, I'm a sister, and I've had the honor of doing work that always is about leveraging resources into black and brown communities. Um, I've worked in a lot of different contexts. I've worked in ministries, um, in the museum field, in the adoption world, and I've just had the privilege of always doing work that I'm super passionate about. And so it was a no-brainer when Ace in the City approached me about joining the team and, and contributing to the Center of Belonging. And so I'm a part of the Ace in the City staff, but I also simultaneously decided to build my own business um, that's called Render Free. So I'm the founder and um, director of Render Free. That's great. Uh, can you tell me, tell me how you made the jump from the work you were doing for museums and then like, What's the genesis of how you started Render Free? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually have um, recently moved to the Twin Cities just a couple years ago. And when I arrived here, I found a lot of job descriptions that talked about the work I wanted to do, work in equity, work in inclusion, work um, in advocating for black and brown community members. But I often found that the systems of those organizations, the policies that they had in place weren't set up to leverage my position. I found that it was really left up to me to do this work for organizations and it was simply put like exhausting. I, I realized that, um, that it was also a front to my personhood to feel like I was in these organizations that perhaps weren't adequately valuing me and people that looked like me. And even knowing that I was going into meetings or um, you know talking about executive orders with that in mind was just exhausting and stressful and traumatic. And so when I, when I asked myself the question, is this a common occurrence? And I um, began to meet more women across the Twin Cities. I found that a lot of folks, regardless of their feel, um, feel exhausted because of having to encounter racism. And I wanted to create a space where folks could rest and recover from this constant onslaught of stress. I wanted to create a space that named that racial trauma exists and it's a real thing in the lives of black and brown men and women and it needs to be healed in order for us to actually do the work that we often are called to do, which is um, to fight against it. Okay, so you, you mentioned trauma in that and can you, can you speak to that and how that involves your members at Render Free and how that has affected your life. Absolutely. So for me, when I was trying to navigate, and still today when I try to navigate predominantly white spaces, um, sometimes it comes with this stress and this trauma. And it, the symptoms of that are things that we all often experience when we're nervous, right? It's our body's way of saying something crazy is about to happen, how can I prepare myself? And so your muscles get tense, um, you might have stomach ache, you might have a headache. But the problem is that for a lot of black and brown women, and my own experience was that I stayed in that sense of high alert 
And our bodies just aren't meant to sustain that kind of intensity. We're meant to have these rhythms, right? Just as the earth has rhythms, like the Lord made us to have rhythms of being intense and being ready to go, but then also resting. And so I wanted to create Render Free so that it would be a place of respite for our members because I can't change. Um, a lot of people are doing amazing work to, um, to end racism, to, to fight for anti-racism, but in the meantime, we've got to survive. And so um, wanting to invite members to heal from that. Yeah, wow. Um, well, we've had a chance to talk before this a little bit about Render Free. And um, tell me a little bit more about like what someone experiences. Like who, who comes, who, yeah. who's a part of Render Free? Who, who, are, we, yeah. who are we talking about? You right, know? right. Uh, so Render Free is a social and wellness club. So um, I actually have a group, a community of members. They're beautiful. We serve uh, self-identified black and brown women. So all my members are black and brown women and they essentially utilize Render Free as a lounge and workspace, which is in the center of belonging. So on Thursdays and Fridays from eight to four, our members can come and work in the space. They can come and take naps in the space. They can come and connect with each other in the space. And it's this idea of, um, you know, as a black woman, I often feel like when I'm entering into spaces, I have to wear a mask, um, not a COVID mask, but a different kind of mask, an armor um, that makes me uh, protected from the things I might run into. And the hope is that Render Free is a space where you don't have to wear that mask and you can take off your armor and you can ask yourself the question, what is it that I need? Am I, what can I do to go beyond surviving and actually heal from the things that I'm experiencing in the workplace or at school or you know wherever you're finding yourselves in predominantly white spaces. And so not only do we share in community just by lounging and working alongside each other, but Render Free also presents strategies of healing through centering local practitioners of color. So practitioners who are skilled in wellness, which I am admittedly not, <laughs> I am learning a lot about what my body needs and how I can reach for it with things that are already at home or already available to me. And so really just reminding our members that they matter, that their wellness matters, that they are worthy of healing and they're worthy of rest. Mm, that's so, it's so important. It's one of those things where like, I, the things you're talking about, like wearing that mask, it's those things that I'm like, oh, I wasn't aware of that. And so this is super enlightening yeah. for me. Um, now, can you tell me if, if people in our church want to get involved, could you is there a way that we can be involved and support what Render Free is doing? Absolutely. So on the basic level, you know, check out our website, renderfree.com. Folks can subscribe and keep up with what we're up to. We do have some events that are occasionally public beyond just our membership. Um, but we also have amazing people that have come alongside us as sponsors. We call them ally sponsors. And so also on our website, people can commit to saying, you know what, a membership is $40 a month. I'm going to pay that amount so that Render Free can give away a membership and mm -hmm. offer to someone who either because of life circumstances can no longer pay for a membership or just needs that kind of opening. Sometimes I find that um, black and brown women are so often caring for others. And it can be like their family members, it can be their church community. Like we are taught or socialized um, to think that really we're here to serve other people. And there's something so beautiful about that. There's obviously something very biblical about that, but there can be something very dangerous about that. Um, because 
there are often people caring for us. And we aren't often thinking about how we should care for ourselves so that we can continue to care for others. And so I'm grateful for everyone who's decided to come alongside and, and remind these women, no, you deserve to be cared for. That's amazing. Um, well, just so you all know, we've also been able to, as a table community, get behind Render Free, and we'll be supporting you um, through some of our, our donations that we've already had. But thank you for, for being with us tonight. And for, for us in the community, if you individually want to get involved and become an ally, check out renderfree.com. And even on the website, it'll say become an ally. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, you can hit the support button and become an ally. Join us in that way. That's great. Yeah, and, and consider uh, donating and um, donating a membership to someone in the community. I think that's a fantastic way yeah. to be involved. Good evening, Table Fam. Zach, Chloe, and Nala here. Happy Valentine's Day to you all. We are doing the announcements this week, so thank you for tuning in. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. So, midweek with MLK. Um, since COVID started, we've been doing kind of a midweek check-in to keep a connection between all of us and check-in on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Sometimes we use this for learning, for soul care, other times it's just a check-in. Um, but this month, we really want to celebrate something super important to all of us, which is Black History Month. So during the month, we will be using Wednesdays to reflect on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail. Each week, we'll be posting a video to the Facebook page with a reading and some questions for your reflection. So these videos are intended to be more of a meditative tool and less of, less of a dialogue. So tune in Wednesday for this very important work. Next up, the church season of Lent. The 40 days leading up to Easter begins this Wednesday. We'd love for you to make Debbie's new Bible study part of your Lenten rhythm. Yeah, so Tuesdays at noon, we'll work through Amy Jill Levine's Entering the Passion of Jesus, really taking a deep dive into Jesus' experience during Holy Week. Jesus says it's a hard word to say. You can sign up for this study on our website at thetablempls.com slash calendar slash Lent. Thanks so much. Hi everyone, Jordan Moberg here uh, with some announcements. Um, first uh, big announcement here is that Jen Carlin and Debbie Manning started a book club. It's um, a book by Britt Bennett um, called The Vanishing Half. And um, being a, a member of this um, amazing book club, um, I'm like halfway through the book and I actually really love it and um, can't wait to see what happens. Um, and we're going to be discussing what happens on February 25th. Um, I think it's a Thursday at 7.30 p.m. So February 25th at 7.30 p.m. We're going to be uh, finishing up discussion on that and also um, discussing the next book that we should bring to this, um, this community. Um, and so we're going to be sending out a Zoom link with the passcode and all that jazz um, through the text um, chain that the table has. And if you want to be part of that or not part of that, uh, text the word table to 33222 and you'll get all that information. Um, and also want to just thank everyone for their continued um, financial support um, for the table community. That is um, greatly appreciated by everyone to continue this work that we're doing and trying to be creative and um, helping people that need help. Um, as simple as that. And so if you'd like to continue to um, donate or like to donate, you can go to thetablempls.com and click on the giving tab. And so thank you very much for uh, all your support. And um, 
yeah, I mean, also it's just freaking cold out. So just stay warm and we'll get through this and hopefully there's, we can hope there's warm weather coming someday. Um, love you guys. Bye. Hi everyone. My name is Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors at the table and happy Transfiguration Day. I bet you guys thought that I was going to say Happy Valentine's Day. Although, as I was coming on to preach, Christian reminded me that years ago, four years ago, his a job on a Valentine's Day that landed on a Sunday was Kiss Cam. So I don't know if anyone out there has some really painful memories of Christian lurking around in the pews, catching you kissing, but that's what he did. So, Happy Valentine's Day, but bigger than that, it is Transfiguration Sunday. And in the liturgical year, that's sort of a bridge between Epiphany and Lent, between the revelation of Jesus and the road to the cross. And I think the interesting thing about um, Transfiguration Sunday is that over the ages, for theologians and pastors and lay people, it's been really a hard story to understand. It's been hard to explain. And we live in this culture, right? Even a, ch a church culture where we want answers and explanation. And the truth about this story is that it's far better um, to just experience it. So that's what I'm inviting you into tonight is to experience this story of the transfiguration. And our story involves Jesus, three disciples, two really famous prophets all on a mountaintop. And the disciples have a mountaintop moment. And it got me thinking about all my own mountaintop moments over the years. And as probably Christian and Matt would remind me, is I've got a lot of those years behind me. So I have a lot of those mountaintop moments. Those moments where um, God is revealed. Those moments where we get this glimpse of God that makes us see Jesus just a little bit differently. Those glimpses that actually change us, that move us, um, move us outward. And I think back on some of those mountaintop moments, and for me, they're literally mountain moments. And I can thank some of my Colorado family for that, because for the last two decades, we've done a lot of uh, hiking and skiing and hanging out in the mountains. And you can't not experience the awe of the Creator when you're in the mountains. It is. It connects you in a way that changes things, and it's so beautiful. And one of my best mountaintop moments was with my sister on her 50th birthday. We were on a mountain outside of Leadville, which is a city apparently at the highest elevation in Colorado. We were over 10,000 feet. Everybody was out skiing and we're on this patio of this cool cabin surrounded by mountains, drinking tea all afternoon, sitting in the sunshine, talking about life and death and everything in between. And we felt like we were touching heaven. It was this moment where there was this rightness in the world about God and who we are and our belovedness. Those are those mountaintop moments. And of course, they don't always look like um, being on a mountain. I think about some of the weddings, my kids' weddings, and it's not just the holy marking moment of husband and wife coming together. I remember so clearly at Sam and Jenny's wedding, our first to get married, and looking out at all the people who showed up to support him and feeling overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with how God like wove all these lives together. All these people that had walked alongside my son and, and now daughter-in-law and who loved him and mentored him. All these lives that had come together for this moment. And it was a mountaintop moment. And I think that's true of 
life and death. I think about holding that grandbaby for the first time. I think about um, surrounding a loved one as they have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. And just the revelation of God in that moment. I thought a lot about um, this community and this church and all those mountaintop moments. And I thought about when we first started out and uh, how we would meet in houses. And I have this memory of being in our house and leaning on the counter and listening to Christian and Becky sing and hearing a word from Matt and watching the people in our community and all the little kids doing life together. And in that moment, I realized that God is so much bigger than us and all our plans that we underestimate Jesus so often. And it's in those mountain top moments that we get to glimpse the glory of God. What are some of those mountaintop moments for you? Hang on to those as we head into our text tonight. We are in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And they were coming down the mountain, and Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. There's our transfiguration story. But what's really important to the story is the beginning of the story after six days. Because what comes before is really important. It makes sense of the entirety of the story. And what becomes before is Jesus and the disciples hanging out in the villages in Caesarea Philippi. And it's there that Jesus asked the disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter answers, well, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus goes on with his first passion prediction. He tells them that he's going to be shamed and humiliated. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. And then in three days, he'll rise again. They didn't like that. Peter rebuked him. And after Jesus rebuked Peter for rebuking him and saying, Satan, get behind me. Jesus gathered the crowds and the disciples. And he said, hey, if you want to be my disciples... You're going to have to set yourself aside, lay down your life, and pick up the cross and follow me. Now imagine after what they just heard, this wasn't necessarily an easy task. But here is Peter and James and John on this holy ground and privileged company six days later. Jesus stands with Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest prophets in Jewish memory. They would have been known to have shared intimate communion with God. And Jesus is transfigured right before their very eyes. The Greek word for this, and it's actually been hard to um, translate it into English language, but where scholars have landed is on the Greek word 
metaphorphothe, metaphorphothe, which means he changed before them. To be, to be transfigured is to change in outward form or appearance. And it doesn't change at all who Jesus is, but what it changes is those witnessing the transfiguration. Their view of who Jesus is changes. Their understanding of who, who Jesus is changes. And this dazzling white clothing actually constitutes an epiphany. The curtain is drawn away from all those normal appearances, allowing us a glimpse of God. They can see. The disciples can see. Or can they? I think the response is really interesting, right? Because they're frightened, yet drawn to the moment. They're drawn to stay in that space. They see the transfiguration. And their response ends up being preservation and sort of this fixing mentality. Hey, Peter says, we'll build some shelters for you guys. It points to that the disciples see, but yet they don't fully see. They don't fully understand, and they, they won't until after the resurrection. I think the same holds true for us. We see and understand who Jesus is, but we don't. I had a pastor once tell me that we really won't fully see all that on this side of eternity, and maybe that's similar to what the disciples experienced. Because I think for us, the question is, what does it mean for us to remember that sometimes the awe, the awe of being made aware of who Jesus is, is for us to simply take in the moment and be in awe. But that's not our MO so much. I think often we quickly jump to the next task or some kind of quick response. It's hard for us to just settle in and embrace the awe to truly be in the moment. And we can see from the text that didn't work so well for Peter. The other thing is that we come into this very differently than the disciples. We didn't ever know. We haven't known the Jesus in the flesh. But we worship a risen Christ. And that means that we sit in this moment differently than the disciples would have. The text tells us that what's important is for us to imagine Jesus in a bigger way, a way beyond the, our own assumptions about who he is. And maybe there's something about resting in the fact that we'll never fully understand or we can't fully explain any, everything, but what's important to us as followers of Jesus is to actually just experience Jesus, just to be in those moments. I'm not sure how to get there. Maybe part of it is naming it, naming it that we live in a culture, a church culture that wants answers. We want to know it all. We want to explain everything. But isn't part of faith kind of just experiencing it? Trusting those mountaintop moments, practicing being fully in when we get these glimpses of God. The transfiguration, there's an importance to it. There's an it tells us that it's important to sit in those moments. I think there's another piece to it too though. And it makes us look at the entirety of the passage, what came before. So while we know that when we get these gifts of this glimpses of God and these mountaintop moments, what we also know is the text calls us to hold that, hold the glory of God 
and hold what it means to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, because that isn't an easy road. That is not an easy road, and I think we're asked to hold those two things together. You know, it's interesting, I was thinking, and those come in big and little things, and I was thinking last week, um, Matt and I had just had a couple conversations around um, just a challenging time to be the church, and, and honestly feeling a little bit of despair around, is this working? Are people engaged? Does any of this matter? And the next day I got a phone call from Matt and he, he was, uh, had a conversation with a young woman who's brand new to the church. And she was trying to find a place that she might be welcomed and affirmed as a young Christ-following lesbian woman. And Matt called me up and you could tell he had had this mountaintop high because he was just so fired up about this wonderful woman and who she was and who we are and, and how this church, this church that we're all a part of, welcomes everybody and wants everybody to know their belovedness, wants everyone to know that they belong. And I thought about this today and I was thinking, yeah, that's what this is about, is the hard work, the carrying the cross, but then the glory of God that we get to see in these awesome moments. And sometimes we miss them. We miss them if we're not paying attention to them. Here's the other part, though, about these mountaintop moments. Not only are we called to carry the cross and the glory together as we follow Jesus, the other important part of this text is that we are not called to stay on the mountaintop. We can take a look at the disciples who witnessed this like amazing vision, a glimpse of glory that drew them and, and made them want to stay right there. But they were told by God their job was to go back down the mountain, to enter into the brokenness and the messiness of the world, that that's what they're to do. And God said, listen, listen to my son. And you know what? That's our job too. Our job, too, is to listen to the voice, the experience, the presence of God. We're given those, the gift of those mountaintop moments. And I, I think it's for rest and healing and restoration and to fill us up. You know how those fill us up? So we can go back out. That we can be part of God's mission and bring in the kingdom. That we can be part of bringing the beloved community right here on earth. Jesus and his disciples, they leave the mountain and its glory behind and they step into the brokenness. They live out their calling just as I think we, the church, are called to live out those same callings. And you know what? If we want to get tangible, it wouldn't take us very long, would it, to list all the places that I think we're called to step into, the poverty, the homelessness, the racism, the bigotry, the homophobia the misogyny, there's so many places that we are called in our own unique ways to step into, to grab those moments of glory and to have that, those moments move us into these spaces. There is a uh, liturgical and homiletical scholar and her name is Melinda Quivick and this is what she says about this text and I think it sums it up beautifully. It's no small wonder that the scene ends with the word dead. Jesus has embraced his identity as one who will die and be raised. 
He signals the journey ahead that will be coming when he and his disciples have left the mountain. It's one thing to have had a high experience, a mountaintop experience with Jesus up in the clouds where everything is brilliant. But it's not the be-all and end-all. The reason for the identification of Jesus with Moses and Elijah is for the church, the disciples, to realize their crucial work in the world, to accompany Jesus to the cross, to take up our crosses, to die in order to live, to be last in order to be first, to refuse the invitation to turn away from God's laws. That's the both and, friends, and you know how I love to use that phrase. That's the both and of following Jesus Christ is carrying the cross and hanging on to the glory of God, those glimpses that we get. You know, I was thinking as I prepared for this message about Ariel, who you heard from at the beginning of this worship service. I haven't had a chance to meet her, but I listened to what she had to say, and I've heard about her from Christian and the amazing work she's doing in the world. And I was thinking about, I wonder what her mountaintop moments have been. And I imagine that her glimpses of God, her hearing that voice saying, you are my beloved, that that's what's filled her and enabled her to walk back down that mountain and do the beautiful work she's doing by creating space for black and brown women to come and rest and be cared for and be known. And to hear too that they are the beloved of God. And that's what this is all about, friends. So I love, 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 Ariel, what you're doing with Render Free. And I encourage this community to get involved in any way that they can with that. It's been good to be with you all tonight. And you know, every week that we worship, no matter what form that takes, I'm reminded that we are the disciples on the mountaintop. We are the disciples seeing the rabbi the, car the carpenter from Nazareth, the teacher, bathed in light. And that's when we get to see Jesus for who he is. That's the glimpse we get. The glimpse that moves us and changes us to be the church. So I'm so grateful to be doing that with all you guys. I can't think of a better way to end my message tonight. Um, and our time together with this video that we're about to show. And it's a video that really speaks to this text. And at the same time, it honors Black History Month. It honors um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Often we think about Dr. King, right? And that he's been to the mountaintop. He was given a vision there, but he never imagined that that would be his dwelling place. He came down that mountain. He came into the streets crossed the bridge, stood with people, fought for justice, fought for equity and equality, walked along those streets with the sanitation workers in Memphis. He came to meet the powers. He knew the movement. A church's place is to go out from. And likewise, a mountain is a place that you come down from. I think that's our message tonight, friends, that together we listen we see, we come down and we go out. I think that's good. Anyway, good to be with you tonight. Take a look at this video. Are we 
say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. This is a CBS News special report. Dan Rather reporting for CBS News from New York. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. was shot to death by an assassin late today as he stood on a balcony in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. King had planned to lead another civil rights march in Memphis next Monday. We got the latest on the story now from Russ Hodge, news director of WREC-TV... Thank you, Debbie, for that message. Thank you for that reminder that as we go about this work and the struggle um, and the grind, that we keep our eyes also on the glory, that we keep our feet planted in something that is uh, going to keep us strong and sturdy. And I see that in Jesus' story from start to stop. And I think it's actually emphasized in the Last Supper. 
uh, where Jesus is gathering his friends around the table for one last time before he disappears and leaves their lives, before he is taken away, before he is lynched in Jim Crow, Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. At this meal, Jesus is gathered and he picks up the bread that's sitting at the center of the table and he says, this is my body and it's gonna be broken for you. Whenever you eat this meal and pick up this bread, remember me. In the same way, he picked up the cup and he said, this is the blood, the blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you take from this wine and you drink of my blood, remember me. And so we do that every week when we get together here as a church. We take from the bread and we drink from the cup and we remember Christ and we remember our role as participants in the body of Christ today. And so wherever you are, um, I wanna offer these words to you. If you have somebody sitting next to you, please echo them and offer them to them. This is the body of Christ and it is broken just for you. And this is the blood of Christ and it is shed for you. Every week when we do this, we also take a moment to say the prayer that Jesus taught us to say. So you pray with me. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hey guys, before you go, before Debbie benedicts us out, um, I wanna just double down on the invitation that Chloe and Zach sent your way earlier and invite you to come and show up on our Wednesday nights on our Facebook page to listen and participate in Dr. King's prophetic letter that he wrote from a Birmingham jail in 1963. If you weren't with us last week, and trust me, you weren't, because it literally was just Lauren and I, we're gonna reshow week one at Wednesday this week at 7 p.m. with the second part of the letter coming at 8 p.m. Again, be in that space with us. Enter into the dialogue with us. This is important stuff, and it wouldn't be the same without you in it with us. So we love you. Debbie. Hey, thanks for being with us tonight. We truly miss you guys. And we are having all sorts of conversations about how we can safely gather again. So please know we are moving toward that and we'll keep you posted on all that. And now for our benediction. No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter who you love or what you've lost, no matter where you've been or where you've stayed, you always have a place at the table because you are the beloved of God and you belong. Go in peace, my friends. We'll see you next week.